He is risen. So keep on your, keep on your feet. Let's, let's do that again. You can't say he is risen while you're seated, can you? He is risen. That's the traditional greeting throughout the centuries and cultures and across time. This is the traditional greeting of the church on Easter Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. John 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to him, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter, reached the tomb first, and stopped to look in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, following him, went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. For they had yet to understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. He is risen. risen Please take your seats. The scripture I'm about to read from Ephesians explains what we're talking about when we talk about the light. When, when the scriptures are talking about light, they're talking about life. Jesus said that he came to bring the light of life. And so when you hear the word light, you have to picture that what we're talking about is life. From Ephesians chapter 5. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God is upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, you were a darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, arise, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, bless this word. Bring us through it not only meaning, but power in Jesus' name. Amen. I believed I could fly. You've heard the song. I believe I can fly. I believed I could fly on cardboard wings. I was five years old. 
and the jungle, jungle gym was six feet tall. I believed I could fly. And because of that, I did not prepare myself for a landing. You know, it's one thing to jump when you're five years old and you jump off a jungle gym that's six feet tall. It's one thing to jump off. That's, that's going to be tough. But if you really believe that the cardboard wings are going to help you float down, you're in big trouble. I had the biggest black eye I've ever had in my life. It's one thing to believe, but it's important <laughs> to know what you're believing in. The object of our faith matters. You know, there are all kinds of narratives and all kinds of movies that say, just believe. But the object of your faith matters. When Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw who she thought was a gardener, and she realized that it was Jesus. When she went back and told John and Peter, they didn't say, oh, isn't that great? You had a, a nice vision. They verified it. They didn't just say, oh, oh she believes, she believes. You know, just let's, let's just let her believe it. They, they, they ran. Peter and John ran, and, and of course they throw in that John the Younger beats Peter. Got to throw that in. John beat him, outran him. You remember, uh, some of you all remember from the Cold War, trust but verify, right? The end of the Cold War, trust but verify. John and Peter didn't, didn't offer to Mary any condescending drivel like, oh, isn't that sweet you had a vision of Jesus? They said, Let's go see. Luke. Luke, the doctor. Luke, when he sought to bring an account of the gospel himself. You know, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when Luke sought, at the beginning of the gospel, it says, I looked deeply into these things. I talked to the people who were there. Luke verified. He looked into it. When Paul, Paul himself, when Paul, who, you know, people don't give up power. Have you noticed that? <laughs> You've noticed that in this election cycle, how difficult it is for people to give up power. power. Paul was powerful. What brought Paul to give up his power? He was killing Christians, and then he became one. He went from the top of the pile to the bottom because of something that happened. And he said in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if we're preaching and the resurrection didn't really happen, then we are most to be pitied. Paul is talking about something that actually, he believed actually happened. The, the disciples, the, the, the ten disciples, I'm saying ten because, you know, you've got to discount Judas, all right? We can do a little math here. Twelve minus Judas is eleven, and then John subtract out John because John died of natural causes but the rest of them the ten of them they died for the gospel and you say well Tim people die for things all the time that they they believed in well would you die for something that you knew was a lie now see that's one of the most compelling arguments for me is that the ten disciples, Peter was crucified upside down. The one who denied Jesus, he was so 
riveted by what he saw after Jesus rose from the dead. He recognized who Jesus was. He died for something that he was in the position to know was either true or false. People don't die for things that they know is false. The Old Testament that we know was written thousands of years before Jesus walked and the fulfillment of Jesus. You can go on and on and on about the kinds of things that verify our faith. But this morning, I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about your life today with the gospel. Gospel is just simply news. It's good news. It's, it's, it's goodness and truth put together. Good news. Goodness and truth, the best things in life, goodness and truth. I want to talk to you about your life for just a few minutes this morning and about how the gospel is compelling today, why you can trust it today, because of what life is like when the gospel is there, what life is like when the gospel is absent, and how the gospel makes you come alive. How it can make you come alive. The gospel there, the gospel not there, and you fully awake and alive. First of all, the gospel, the good news. Not, not, just, not just great suggestions or really good teaching, but the good news that something actionable happened. What does life look like when there's the gospel, when the gospel is lived in action. You know, I, I had the privilege of sitting with couples when they're starting their lives. It's incre- an incredible privilege. And over and over and again, it's like you see the stars coming out of their eyes. You know, it's like, oh, you know, so he's so dreamy and she's, she's, just, and she's just perfect, you know, and then something crashes, you know. <laughs> It's bound to happen. And I'm sitting here and I'm going, something's going to crash. And, you know, this dreaminess is, gonna, is not going to carry you. You know what you need. And, and, and they're like listening like, like the peanuts. Wah, 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 wah. I'm sitting here going, let me, tell you about, let me tell you about some principles that will help you relate well. You know, the amazing thing is, is that there's nowhere else in the world that you can find The way that men and women are designed to function, to live, to communicate, to celebrate each other. Men and women, so equal but so different. There's nowhere else you can find these principles. And over and again I sit and I listen to couples who've been married for 20, 30 years who've who've crashed their marriages and I think you are violating the same things that these other hundred couples I've seen violate. It's the same thing every time. There is a fabric, there's a fabric to truth. And you're either living in that light, you're you're either working with it or you're working against it. And I can tell you, I can go right down the list when people are in conflict. I can tell you exactly what they're doing wrong right out of the scriptures. And I can tell you when people find freedom from the worst things that happen in life. I can tell you from the scriptures how they're living that out. 
There's a guy named... And look at business. Don't, don't just look at the way that men and women, when they live in the light, when they live in the light of truth, according to the ways that we're designed and how life flourishes, don't just look at couples just... Maybe you can't relate that. Consider this. There's a guy named Patrick Lencioni who wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And when a group of, of Christians... Uh, some of the some world-renowned Christians in Willow Creek near Chicago read this book. They said, "This is all out of Scripture." Is this guy a Christian? These five principles are all out of the Bible. They're straight out of Scripture. And so they invited him. They invited Patrick Lencioni to come to their their leadership conference, and he's been speaking there ever since. Now I don't know whether Patrick Lencioni is is a Christian or not. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you read his book, The Five Dysfunctions of the Team, and you see that, 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 that the kinds of companies that, where people flourish and the kinds of, of, of communities where people are, are, are really thriving, you see these five principles at work where people are trusting each other, where there's a true sense of vulnerability, where there's a, a willingness to be held accountable, where there is, there, is, there is a commitment and where there is some attention to a particular mission and direction. Where did all that come from? It came from the scriptures. The West itself has flourished because of the grace and truth, the principles of grace and truth held in check. Nowhere else can you find this. It says, Jesus walked among us in grace and truth. I've said it over and again. You know, it's easy to be graceful without truth, right? It's just permission. Ah, who cares? Shrug your shoulders. Uh, It's so easy to bring down a hammer of judgment. But grace and truth together, this is the gospel. Jesus living out grace and truth. And when you see it lived out that way, it says you're a light. It's why C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. When there's light, there's life. When there's light, there's life. Now, it doesn't mean that that in the Philston household, we're living this out perfectly. You know, I mean, or in your household, I know that's true, right? I look in your windows. Not literally. Well, a couple of you, literally. <laughs> it's not that, but, but when we do, you see, it's today's gospel. It's today's good news. It's when you apply what the scriptures are saying. When there's light, there's life. How often do I regret not letting go of that thing I need to let go of? And I carry it with me. And how often do I find freedom in the forgiveness that I'm called to? Where there's light, there's life. Do you see what happens? You see the founding of a nation. The greatest nation on earth. The the principles of it. The representative government. Even the representative government 
comes out of the scriptures. Even the idea of democracy comes out of the scriptures. Yes, you can say, well, you know, the, the, the Greeks had a, a, a republic as well. That's, that's true. That's true. But the tensions of grace and truth that come out of the scriptures have made this nation and every other democracy flourish through the principles of the fabric of the way that human life is meant to be woven together. Where there is light, there is life. And what happens when there isn't light? What happens when the gospel has no witness, when there's no good news, when there's no goodness and truth lived out, when there's no grace and truth lived out in action in people's lives. What happens when there's no good news, when there's no gospel? You know, I was struck with as much uh, eerie queasiness as you were when I looked at the pictures of those two brothers walking into the airport in Brussels with those left gloves on, each one of them with that black left glove, pushing a cart. And I remember seeing that picture for the first time and thinking how ordinary a picture it was, how they blended in, how they had our faces how these men who were walking were not stopped by anyone because they just looked like regular people. Evil. Evil. Personified. And you say, well, Tim, that's an extreme case. I mean, those are radicalized people. Oh, really? Really? Well, maybe you're a skeptic and you think that, that you don't, we don't really need the gospel. Maybe you think I'm making too dramatic a point about contrasting where the gospel is lived out versus these, these folks who are radicalized. But let's listen to somebody who has lived through the worst evil ever recorded, Auschwitz, World War II. His name is Primo Levi, and he lived through the Holocaust, through Auschwitz, and when he saw, after the war, when he came face to face with the people who were torturers, the people who were behind the, the, the ovens of Auschwitz, and he looked at them at Nuremberg, he said this. He said, they were made of the same cloth as we. When I saw the glove, when I saw them pushing, I remembered this. I remember reading this somewhere that, that the testimony of people who had survived the Holocaust were shocked to look upon the perpetrators and see how ordinary they were. They were made of the same cloth as we. They were average human beings with average intelligence, average wickedness. They were not monsters. <clears throat> he said, they had our faces. That's why to this day, the German people remember. It's the same DNA. It's the same gene pool. Evil. Evil. 
begins very ordinarily. Very ordinary. Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke, his famous quote. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to stand by and do nothing. Stand by and do nothing. You see, what it says in the scriptures is this. You were a darkness. It doesn't say you walked in darkness, you lived in darkness, you were darkness. It says you were a darkness. I looked it up. I looked it up in the original language. I looked very closely. I studied it over and again this week. I looked at it very closely. I wanted to make sure this was right. You were a darkness. Now think about that for a minute. When you walk apart from the gospel, you're not just in darkness, you are a darkness. It's like being a black hole. You know, the one thing everybody knows about a black hole, you know, I know that there's a recent scientist who says, well, maybe this isn't quite true, but, but it absorbs light. And I think we have to ask ourselves, where are the areas of my life where I am a darkness? Are there areas of my life where I am sucking the life out of the room like those two brothers? They literally sucked the life out of the room. A darkness. You see, the audience of the day in the Ephesian church, Ephesus, there was so much corruption. It was so corrupt. Those of you who have been to developing countries, you, you realize, you realize what it's like to live in darkness. I've spent many, many, many nights awake in Haiti. It's, it's never going to leave me for as long as I live. The darkness of that place, the deep corruption, the smell of burning plastic, a darkness. Why have we poured billions of dollars into a country? Is it just coincidence that they were, their culture has been shaped by voodoo? A darkness sucking the life out of people. We can be a light or we can be a darkness. You see, the gospel is goodness and truth that yields beauty. Goodness and truth. Think about that. Good news. The gospel. Good news. It's just a message. It's a message of hope. It's a message that says life is meaningful. It's a message that says apart from transcendence, apart from a reality that endures, we are hopeless. But with the gospel. What you see every time it's lived out. And you say, Tim, well, what about the Crusades? You know, my grandfather was, he really battled with this. He really battled with this idea of Christianity. I spoke with him on his deathbed, pleading with him. He said, What about the Crusades? Well, the church, when it doesn't live out the gospel, becomes a darkness. You see how crucial 
the good news is, oh, it's everything. It's everything. You have good news this morning, or you have nothing. And we have good news. We have good news to share. Let's consider that. Let's consider what happens when the good news begins to shine. When the good news begins to take hold and root of your life. You see, this is what I believe. I believe that every person sitting in here is an artist. What? (laughs) That's right. I think we're artists. Have you looked closely at anything that's created? I mean, was it just when you were a child that you looked closely at a flower or a blade of grass or a snowflake? I mean, seriously, what's behind creation is the most genius artist. And you're created in his image. You are created in his image. And when the light of light shines on you, it brings out your very, very best. You know, a a friend of mine is a particular kind of doctor, and I'm not going to go into details because it's it's kind of a, a contrasting thing, a horrid thing that brings out the most beautiful thing. But he operates on a class of people who feel uh, completely marginalized. Now, he doesn't agree with what they're about and what they're doing, but he loves them. Why? And he prays with them. Why? Because he believes that every person is a soul created in the image and nature of God. And so this class of people in Chattanooga, Tennessee... Look to this doctor and they, he has a reputation for loving people. And it's not just that he's a doctor. You say, well, I don't have a particular kind of skill. I don't have a subspecialty or, or whatever. It's not that. It's who he is because of the gospel in him that makes all the difference to what he does. How does it affect what you do? Not just what you do. You know, what's the thing? The second thing we always ask somebody after their name is, what do you do, Right? And we define ourselves by what you do. What if we began to define ourselves as artists behind what we do? What you do because of who you are, because of the good news. How in your role, in other words, is life around you different because of the good news that shines in you? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. You say, well, how do I get to that? How do I I achieve that? I mean, I'm trying really hard. Well, I'm not talking about trying really hard to be good. Here's what it's like. This is what I'm talking about. When, uh, you know, I I grew up playing soccer, but I wasn't very good, and I, I didn't really know the game. But when I started to coach, I understood the game. And one of the things that was so difficult was to help students understand that if you play the fundamentals, the basics of the game, the goals will come. It took me a couple of seasons to teach this high school team the, the truth of this, and they, they ended up doing very, very well. You see, when you practice goodness and truth, look at verse 9. It says this. It says this. 
verse 9 of chapter 5. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That's a mixed metaphor, but, but think about it for a minute. When we devote ourselves to the fundamentals, when you're looking for the good news in your life, when you're simply practicing the basics, that you're, you're a champion of goodness, you're a champion of truth, then beauty takes care of itself. That's how Mortimer Adler puts it. He says, attend to goodness and truth and beauty will take care of itself. You're an artist when you do that. I don't care what you do, whether you're a, you're a, a doctor, baker, or candlestick maker, you were made for goodness and truth that your beauty would shine in the smallest moments. You say, Tim, I, you know, I've, I've lived my life mostly. I'm retired. I mean, what, what do I have to do? Well, you can shine. You can light your world. You can light your world. It says, literally, wake up, sleeper. Wake up. Arise. Here's how Howard Thurman puts it. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and do that. Because what the world needs are people who have come alive. I would challenge you over the next 30 days to practice the fundamentals. Practice something basic. If you're wondering, now how do I really live out this truth? Yeah, Tim, I see that, 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 that Western civilization and the best of us have been shaped by the gospel. I see that. Yes, I see that when, when the gospel is absent, that things go literally to hell. That the, the, the life and light are literally sucked out of the room. But how do I, I'm an ordinary person, how do I shine with this eternal light practice the basics go back to truth and goodness just not not to try hard to be truthful and good that's not what i'm talking about don't reduce it to some behavior the the value of it practice it for the next 30 days i challenge you to do this take one piece of paper and write one through 30 on it And at the end of every day, write one thing that you're thankful for. It will change your life. It will wake you up. At the end of those 30 days, you will be different. If you do this, genuinely, you look back on every day for 30 days and you say, what, where is my gratitude? What is one thing that I can look at and say, there's beauty, there's goodness, there's truth. Don't ask what the world needs. You see, that's what Paul's saying. Ask what makes you come alive. And then be about that, however great or small. Because what the world needs are people who are fully awake 
and alive in the light of truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for the light that is not only meaningful to us, but powerful in and through us. We would live out in the light, out in the open. Not ashamed of the gospel, but boldly proclaiming, Lord, what it is that brings goodness and truth and beauty in our biggest moments and our smallest moments. God, today, today, this Easter day, would you move within our hearts to take a look at what we truly believe in Jesus' name.